today on cinematics. It's not about what happens. It's about how you handle it. This is Fight Club. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cinematics. I'm Ryan. I'm fucking Polly. And today we are going to talk about Fight Club. We're not supposed to talk about it. Oh, shit. That, we broke the first rule already. And the God. second rule. And the second rule. Whoa, we're bad at this. Fuck's sakes. Gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, first things first, I just want to say, um, I guess we apologize for missing, oh, I guess it would be a week we've missed um, in our scheduling because I was away. Maybe it was more than a week. Oh gosh, I don't even know now. But I was away in Hawaii and all of the recording stuff was at my house. Um, so we did not get the episodes done. However, uh, yeah, so essentially just apologies for that. But It's all your fault, Ryan. I know, I'm the worst. Um, what, are, what are all our 10, ten f- listeners going to think about I this? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> um, so uh, I think today we're going to break the show down a little bit differently in that we're going to sort of set it into two sections because Fight Club is a it is a big movie it is a controversial movie it's a powerhouse it movie. has a so much subtlety and and just like uh, it there's just so much to it that we couldn't even talk about it in an episode if we wanted to one episode so we're going to break it down into two parts the first part I'm going to propose a couple of thoughts to Paulie and Paulie's going to respond and talk with me about my thoughts and and that sort of thing. And then we'll, about halfway through, we'll switch over and Paul will talk about his thoughts and his hypotheses and we'll respond to those as well. Um, we're going to talk about as much of the movie as we can and it's going to be, at least from my end, it's focused on both the technical and uh, a little bit of philosophical musings. So, my first hypothesis for you, Paulie, is that the film tries to tell you very clearly through blocking, production design, tricks of camera, etc., etc., that Tyler and uh, the narrator are the same person, and they show us a control change throughout the film when certain, uh, per- whenever which, whichever person takes control over mm. the body, whether mm. it's the narrator himself or whether it's Tyler. Right. Um, so I have some thoughts on how they do this. Um, some examples of the technical blocking and camera work of it. Of course, uh, right in the beginning, um, we see flashes of Tyler appear in different places, like a frame or two. Yeah. Um, you know, he has his arm over the shoulder of the um, testicular cancer like group leader at right. one point. Yeah, yeah. He's standing behind a doctor at one point. Uh, and there's two other instances where he sort of flashes on the screen. Yeah. Something I didn't think of when we were first reading or first watching, but I thought of afterwards as I was sort of typing out some notes is that it's really interesting that they do this uh, because that uh, not only is it foreshadowing that, you know, something's going on with the narrator, but it also, if you're, if you're paying attention and thinking about it, when you get to the scene where Tyler finally fully realizes and becomes a character, 
One of the first things we learn about him is that he's a projectionist who inserts frames into movies oh, yeah, to yeah. mess with people. Right, yeah, right? yeah. So it, it's calling back to itself on that in a sense because we're seeing him inserted into the framework of the film, right. the physical framework in these flash frames, and then we're being reminded of the fact that he's not real right. by this with his prof- his profession as a projectionist, mm-hmm. which I found super fascinating and I didn't even notice when I first I or second even, yeah, watched. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Right? Yeah. So I was like, man, man, that is so clever. And and it's it's super subtle. I mean, I, I guess I should say, like, I have a lot of respect for David Fincher as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He's a, a brilliant uh, director, writer, person. I don't think he's yeah, a writer. One of, one of my favorite movies is Seven. So there you go, right? You know. And he uh, he's just, he's so detail-oriented and he's so focused on, on put, bringing every piece of the story together. Yeah, so just little subtle nods that end up, having a bigger meaning by the end of the movie right exactly exactly so that was the first thing i i had written down another one uh oh the another place that we see him flash is in an advertisement when he's in that hotel sequence Uh there's that ad about hotels or whatever there's a bunch of waiters and stuff and and tyler durden is in that ad as one of the waiters oh is he yep and I oh, saw. Fuck, I found right. a frame of it. Um, well, in in the description to this episode, I'm going to provide a bunch of links yeah, yeah. to websites and blogs and things that I uh, re- I read for uh, a, ver- a variety of reasons. Whether it was like support or my ideas, or looking for frames, or just reminding myself about things and developing some of the thoughts that I had with evidence. So I will link to those articles that you guys can read if you'd like. Um, another thing that I found really interesting is the way that they set up. Um, various types of blocking. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, when they both climb onto the bus after uh, we finally have Tyler realized as a person, they get on the bus and the narrator walks right through and goes onto the bus and Tyler stops to pay one fare. Right, yeah. But there's two people there. Mm-hmm. So right away you're like, wait a second. If you're not paying attention, you know, that's just like whatever. He's just paying the fare. It's fine. But yeah. But if you're if you're looking for it, it's like, oh, why is why is that happening? Here, here's here's my question: Is how many co- do you know how many coins he had in his in his? I hand don't when, know because you can't tell. Oh, okay, fair enough. I don't. I, I have. I like. There's no way you could tell. Because I mean, you. I mean, it, it could be done any any sort of way. Like, even if he just had one coin, or if he had two, they're basically the same person. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? So I mean, even if it was the narrator walking onto the bus and he dropped two coins in. He thinks that Tyler's there anyways. Exactly, right? So, so either way, it kind of plays out, but it's just interesting. Yeah. Um, and to that note, this is another one of those scenes where I'm like, yeah, so they're, they're, they're telling you who is controlling the body throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Right. If you think of the body as the narrator, as the, the skinny guy who works at a, an insurance claim place or the car company yeah. place, you know, that is the body that is being fought over by Tyler and the narrator. And there are moments where we see different things happen that provide evidence for control. So in this situation, for example, the person who seems to have the control, who seems to be in the driver's seat, as it were, uh, is Tyler because he's the one paying the fare, right? There's a conscious choice there that Tyler pays the fare, not the narrator, right? Yeah. And and I don't think that that's a detail that Fincher would miss out on. I don't think that's something that was an accident. Nah, Every that, piece of that was intentional. You yeah, know? for sure. 
for sure. Um, so that that that's just one example of that kind of thing. Guns trading hands over yeah. and over again. Which there's also the scene where they're literally fighting over the steering wheel. Yep. You know. Yep. So they're they're fighting over the control of the car, and I I will talk about that in a minute actually because there's something interesting about that too. Yeah. Um, and then right at the end, all of those scenes, all of those pieces of real of control fighting come to a head when at the very end, uh, the narrator is able to wrest control of the gun out of Tyler's hand. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. gun exchange scenes yeah. where he'll, you know, Tyler will take control, take the gun, threaten the store owner, say, where he's in control of the whole situation. The situation ends. He leaves. He gives the gun to uh, the narrator why it was his he he came with it why did he give it away mm-hmm. gives it to the narrator and leaves right he's handing over control again he's come in he's taken he's done what he needed to do and now he's gone back to do his own thing and given control back yeah and again. you could also even say that when tyler leaves leaves the narrator he's off formulating something else that he the narrator doesn't know is gonna happen exactly right right? and and again and that goes back to the whole sleep thing because our our narrator is an insomniac Mm -hmm. so right off the bat he's not really a trustworthy narrator uh because we know he he doesn't sleep we know he's not he's not super well put together so we know we can't necessarily trust him anyway you never know when he's actually there or when he's not because there's times in the movie when um the, the one thing that pops out in my head is He's on the he's on the sofa and he's looking he's watching those late night TV ads mm-hmm. and there's just that zombified look on his he, face. He's not watching TV. He's just laying there staring yeah. at the screen. His brain and is you dead. You could even say that's when Tyler even starts to manifest himself. Is like he's there. He's not there, but there's something happening in his like subconscious mind that it's yeah. it's starting to it's starting to come to fruition. Well, and, and there's a visible shift too, right? Because we we almost almost exclusively throughout the movie we change perspective whenever the narrator goes to sleep right okay so we're, we're seeing them exist and fight over control but there's this continued motif of our, our main narrator goes to bed and then he gets up stuff has happened you know um, oh, okay, okay like yeah. like for example the end of the car scene after they have that big car crash yeah um he's like super beat up we see his face he's like covered in scars he's all bloody and then the next scene we see he's lying in bed um and tyler's talking to him and he's sort of like groggy and out of it, but his wounds are partially healed. Right. And then when he finally gets out of bed and goes back down after this car crash, his wounds are gone. He's not injured. That means okay. he's been in bed for at least two weeks. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so he, he's, yeah. He, he himself, as a brain, has not been there. Who's been there and doing things is Tyler. Mm. And that transition mm-hmm. of time... It explains how so much has happened. You know, he gets up and there's all this stuff and there's yeah, all these there's plans like, and he yeah, has no there's idea. There's all these happening. airplane tickets and mm-hmm. like everything else. And he's like, "What? What?" And then what, like, what's going he, on? He like, uh, there's the one scene. I I think it's after the car crash as well when Tyler exits the room and then he wakes up and then like he's he he goes downstairs and the place has become as he said like a living thing there's all this shit going on and he's mm-hmm. like when the fuck did this happen and it's in like the two plus weeks that he's been not himself he's been right. tyler right and yeah, he's yeah. been healing so th- there's little things like that we like we never see time progress in any way other than through the progression of his injuries you know he he injures himself one way or another and then he as he heals we see time moving forward but there's no other reference to how much time has passed yeah 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 that's a good uh, that's a good point which was really quite interesting hmm. uh from a production design standpoint there was a few things i noticed that i found intriguing um they they wear the same white boxers oh i didn't so notice that after 
after his apartment blows up and the narrator moves in with Tyler, um, the, the, they wear the same pair of boxers. Okay. It's like a white pair. He, he like cleans them in a sink at one point while, while he's talking with Marla. He's like wearing them at the end of the movie. Yeah. That like plain white pair. That's the same pair that Tyler's wearing while he's riding his bike. Right. Um, all that kind of stuff. Like, like the same clothes. Uh, they have the same briefcase right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so all these little production design elements that are kind of put in and built to create this this narrative, which is something that I find super fascinating on like a small tangent is just that like the amount of detail that filmmakers, good filmmakers put into every piece of storytelling mm-hmm. that most people aren't even going to notice. Like the briefcase is an obvious one, but the boxers, like I guarantee you 90% of the people that watch this movie don't notice that. You could even say that his uh, yin yang coffee table is the first time that he even thought of like, you could even say that's like the time when, uh, he first thinks of Tyler is uh, when he buys that coffee. That's table. really interesting because we don't see it either. Remember? Yeah. He, the ta- only- he talks about having that coffee table, but the only time we see the coffee table is after the after apartment explodes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's that real, could, I never even thought of that. That's yeah, really interesting. Like that could be like the first time the idea gets in his head is that yin yang coffee table. Cause he does, he does make note of it. You never see it, but then you see it as uh you know, sort of, you could even say it's like rising from the ashes in, in a way, yeah. you know, seeing it. And it's very prominent. In it the is. Scene too. Like and it's set up straight to face the camera. Yeah. It's, it's burnt a little bit, but like, it's clearly that yin yang. It's the white, white, yeah. black, yeah. light, dark sort of. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I never thought of that. Thanks for bringing that up. No Holy. problem, man. Anytime, anytime. Um, so I have two more points to make on this topic. Uh, the first one is that, and this is actually supported by an interview from uh, the Yale Herald with Edward Norton, um, but he basically said uh, the idea behind the uh, d- um, character design is that as the movie progresses, Tyler gets more and more control over the narrator, and as this goes on, Tyler t- becomes more and more corporeal. He gets bigger, he gets stronger. He becomes more tanned. He becomes more physically present. Right. And right. Edward Norton's character becomes oh, physically more decayed, like, and decayed yeah. tired, worn down, pale. The The quote from it is yeah. here is Brad made the decision to go the opposite way because Tyler is the way my character sees himself. Brad got progressively bigger throughout the movie. He bulked and got huge and tan and beautiful while I became Gollum. <laughs> okay. Quote from Edward Norton. Okay. Um, so that was an intentional decision as well, that as Tyler takes control, he gets more present. And it's another one of those things that's really hard to pick up on. But if you notice it... Yeah, because you do see a physical hints. change with him, but that just puts it into that just puts it into the right context and the right perspective. Because I was like, why... Like, because he even wears that big, that big like fur coat too. Yeah. You know, like it just to puff him up a little bit more, right? Exactly. And so as he goes, and he starts shaving his head near the end, he yeah. gets much, much more masculine and yeah. like, like almost pretty much hyper masculine by the end. He's yeah. Just, I yeah. mean, the whole Tyler side of things is pretty much that. But yeah. And I, I, I have something to say on that too when we get to it for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, um, and I, I, I think we might get to it sooner than you think. Um, so, I had one more point, and that's the car crash. There's a lot more stuff in the movie that we could talk oh, about, about how it, yeah. how it hints at things. There's all kinds of evidence, but there's only so much time in a podcast to talk about these things. <laughs> so I have to pick a few. But this one I found extremely fascinating. So that car crash scene, they both get in the driver's side door when they get in the car, first of all. 
They both, oh, yeah, they they both yeah, climb yeah. in the driver's side yeah, door. Yeah, because I was, I was looking at that. I'm like, why didn't he just get in through the passenger mm-hmm. side? But yeah, he, he got in through the driver's side and... And then Tyler like, came yeah, in after him and scooched yeah, over, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that in its in in and of itself is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But then they're in the car and Tyler's driving and they're r- fighting over control of the steering wheel and it's it's like a, a, a almost a, a full metaphorical representation of this this loss of control or a gain of control. Yeah. Over this car and also the idea of just you know letting go, letting obviously. go, and just let things happen as they as. Not as they should, but as they are. But as they are. Yeah. But, interestingly enough, after the car crashes, Tyler gets out of the passenger side and goes to the driver's side of the car to get the narrator, Edward Norton's character, get him out. Oh, interesting. Right? So, it's like while Tyler seemed to be physically driving on the road, he's in the passenger side when he gets out of the car. So, what that, first of all, what that tells us is that Edward Edward Norton's character was driving the whole time. Yeah. Firstly, secondly, that obviously is a hint at the fact that they're the same person. And thirdly, that's another one of those elements of like resting control because Tyler's controlling the situation while they're in the car. He's the one who's at the wheel. He's driving. He does all of this that causes this car car crash to happen. But after it's happened, the person who has to deal with the repercussions, the person who takes control afterwards, is the real person, the Edward Norton right, character. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, where he takes control again, and that control is passed as he's back in the driver's seat of his own right. train wreck of a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bam. Quotable. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so or, that, car, or car wreck. Yeah, car I, I, wreck, I guess, I guess. I guess the other way that you could look at it, too, say if you didn't analyze the movie so much, is you could... Well, they had their seatbelts on, but like what I was going to say is they hit that fucking car so hard that they switched they sides. Switched sides. <laughs> <laughs> they did put their seatbelts on. Yeah, though, so I mean, so. it doesn't make any sense that they would end up in different parts of the car unless the seatbelt broke. Which exactly. Which it didn't. It didn't. Uh, we would assume. Well, we would assume it did. Yeah, you can assume. Yeah. So that's all I have to say on that hypothesis. It, it was a pretty simple one. It's just basically like David Fincher intentionally lays a ton of tracks or throughout the movie to let us know. Um, what's actually going on and if you're paying attention or if you know what you're looking for you can find them pretty easily is there anything you want to come back to about that topic before i do my second hypothesis um maybe later because i have some i have some things that kind of tie in with that okay but yeah but we'll, we'll go to your idea first so here is where things get interesting I have a proposal for you, okay. and I'm curious to hear what you think of it, because I'd never heard of it, and I'd never thought of it. I've seen this movie a few times, but I was um, in my digging around trying to find like links and f- websites and images and, and remind myself of stuff. I found a website called jackdurden.com, mm-hmm. which is basically a site that has run by a guy who devotes the entire website to analyzing breaking down and discussing this movie. The whole website's devoted to it. Um, And I was reading about production design stuff, and I was reading about, like, different characters, and I came across one of his articles that intrigued me because I'd never thought of it. And then I started reading his his points and looking at how the movie progressed and and thinking that maybe, maybe it's true. So, hear me out. Marla isn't real i have a theory on that too marla (laughs) marla is another personality of of the the narrator who 
uh, in, on this website, Jack Durden, uh, he, he claims that the narrator's name is Jack based on a piece of the script he has on his website that calls all of the characters talking Jack. Right. So I'm going to say Jack because it's easier than saying the narrator over and over again. I, it might be true. I don't know. It's fun to talk about. But yeah. Um, in an argument for the fact that this movie is a big, big exploration of masculinity and hyper-masculinity, and a lot of people have criticized it for being um, basically glorifying hyper-masculinity. Right, right. Um, I don't think it does that. I, think, I don't either. I think that <laughs> what it is, is it's our character Jack is struggling with uh, his own inner personality and his own sort of who he is and what he is, and on either side of that spectrum, he's created Tyler Durden, the hyper-masculine part of himself who wants to fight, who wants to yeah, yeah. wreck stuff. Yeah. And then the female or feminine side of himself represented through Marla, yeah. who basically um, is his, his softer side. And yeah. I have some evidence for this. Uh, a lot of this is gotten, all of this has gotten off of the Jack Durden site. So it's mm -hmm. not really my own findings i can't yeah, claim yeah. to be but i'm going to use his his evidence because i find it really interesting so first of all um marla and tyler both don't have reflections unless they're with jack okay interesting if if they walk past mirrors and or stand in front of mirrors when the the main character narrator isn't present mm -hmm. uh they don't have reflections which suggests that both of them are not real first of all second point to that that was brought up um marla uh, when they finally talk for the first time after he confronts her for ruining everything because she's at his like mm -hmm. uh, self-help groups, um, they go to a laundromat and they go to a Speed Queen dryer and she pulls out a bunch of jeans yeah. and then goes and sells them. So a couple of things about that. First of all, uh, it's funny that it's a Speed Queen uh, because it's sort of like commenting on the fact that like the narrator Jack is sort of becoming female in a way inside of himself because he's letting marla take over him here right interesting I, I thought to note about that anyways the other thing is that why would there be uh why would she grab nothing but jeans unless it was a symbol for him sort of discarding his idea of western masculinity in the symbol of it being literally jeans pants you know wearing the pants his, his, as it were yeah, yeah his big boy pants yep, exactly. yeah exactly and then she takes them and she goes to a thrift store and she sells them and then later well it's it's not so there, there's some stuff about that because we don't actually i don't think we actually know what the name of the store is but it looks like a thrift store or something so she goes and she sells them and then later we see her and she's wearing this dress that she says she's bought at a thrift store and she says she can lend it to him whenever he wants. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is that our narrator, Jack, is that him cross-dressing? Is that him buying this dress for himself and wearing it and, and trying out his feminine side <laughs> and, and representing it to himself through this personality that he's created for himself? That's an interesting theory. Right. I also think that even ties in with uh, uh, Tyler's appearance closer to the end of the movie because you do see them both wearing a fur sort of right. sort of coat too right right they both adopt that sort of look at the end and you could even say that um at the beginning when you first see marla it, she's all dark right mm -hmm. she got she kind of gets lighter throughout the movie she kind of loses some of the makeup and stuff yep. you kind of see and her personality also kind of changes a little bit too it does. and you could say that 
um, the when when she first comes in the movie that it's him trying to suppress that side of himself, right? Totally, yeah. You know, she kind of just shows up and he he's trying to he's trying to shoo her away. He's trying to get away from her. Meanwhile, he's always hanging out with Tyler. Whereas closer to the end of the movie, he starts. And I, I have also another theory that kind of ties into totally, this yeah. as well, but like he starts hanging out with Marla more, whereas he, he's accepting his feminine side more than his yeah, masculine exa- side. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he's trying to save her and get rid of him instead. And you could say that even, um, you know, when, when, uh, Tyler and Tyler and Marla, uh, get together as much as they do, you could also say it's even, uh, jack or the narrator truly being born at that time too it's like sort of like the two sides of them mixing together to 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 be one being nice i uh, i also find it interesting on that note too that there's only one scene that they ever share uh tyler and, and and marla the only scene they ever share is that like one moment where they're having sex and uh the narrator jack looks through the door and the door is open and they're like in the same room together. But other than that, she leaves, Tyler comes in, Tyler Ty- leaves, she comes in. But Tyler also, uh, in the, in the hallway when she phones him and he goes to get her after she takes all those right, pills. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You so could that, even that's say, the other one. You could even say that was his own attempt at, uh, killing his feminine side too. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to dive into that, you know, you know, you uh, could, you could argue that too. Th- there, there is a lot, Oh man, there's so much. Um, so another another piece of evidence for this is the airplane scene. He's sitting talking to a woman, yeah, in the seat beside him about like you know how car crashes and recalls work, and she gets all uppity about it. And then he falls asleep, sort of, and imagines like the plane crashing. And then he comes back to reality. The woman's gone. Tyler's there. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of like the beginning of the movie. He's sort of like dipping his toes in the feminine side. And then in this moment, Tyler comes in and his hypermasculinity takes over and takes over that that sequence. You and could it, even say at the beginning though, um, when he first sees Tyler, it's just it's it's just the masculine side. I think it doesn't become hypermasculine until until later until later on. I totally. think it's him just because he's never he's never really one or the other. He's always like like when you first see the narrator, he's just kind of like this this zombie. Like he like. He's, he he he's looks not, quite androgynous yeah, in a like lot of ways. He, he, like he's just he's just there, right? Yeah. So you could say that um, the first time he meets Tyler, he's he's tapping into a certain part of himself, and then when he first meets Marla, he's resisting that because he's just he's trying to get her away all the time. So you could just say like uh, the narrator at the beginning is just he. You couldn't even say he's in the middle. He you could say that he's, he's just fighting it. Yeah, he's yeah, he's just he's got his elbows out, I guess, and he's just kind of in that sort of catatonic state that totally. he doesn't know. He's just he's just his stuff. He's he's the things that he thinks defines him. I, I have I, so I have something to say to that, but before I do, I wanted to finish quick the airplane thing because there's yeah. there's a little there's that picture above the emergency exit door where it's like how to use the emergency exit door. Okay. Um, the first two pictures of that, it's a a woman with longer hair doing the actions but the last frame it looks like it changes so that it's a man oh really yeah there, there's some pictures of it online you, oh, okay. again you can look in the links to see but but it looks like there's even that transition is represented in that that physical 
production design element mm -hmm. in the same way actually i just realized this also the whole um tyler isn't real thing after the the apartment explodes and he gets the phone call he calls on the payphone doesn't get an answer hangs up payphone rings back he answers and tyler's there right on top of the phone there's a little sticker thing that says uh incoming calls not allowed oh interesting so i think i saw something about that a, a while ago i couldn't remember i couldn't remember what it said but yeah incoming calls not allowed which which suggests that tyler's not actually calling him he's just talking to himself so right. now to what you were just talking about um another thing that is proposed on this website that i find super fascinating so um jack basically just goes to uh he goes to all of these different seminars like all of these tons of different self-help group sort of things mm. but the only one that is prominently featured is the testicular cancer one where right. he you know meets bob and like all these other people and all that kind of stuff and marla first comes in so proposal made by this website that i this guy on on jack Durden that i find very interesting mm. the conflict of the movie is actually I'm, I'm taking it a little bit further than he does but to me sure. the conflict of the movie is actually the fact that the narrator has testicular cancer that's okay. the major conflict and he goes to this this meeting to try and get help and creates these characters because he's trying to come to terms with the fact that he has to get his balls cut off Oh, so okay. he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. the feminine side of him, Marla, is the side where he's like, I'm losing my masculinity. I'm losing my balls. And this is like, maybe I should just embrace this, like almost effeminate, emasculating yeah, transition sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other side is him combating that by being like, no, I'm this, I'm a masculine guy. I fight and I do things and whatever. And so the whole conflict for our main character is that he's get, losing his balls to cancer and doesn't know how to deal with it, so he creates these these characters that right. are helping him work through his trauma. Well, actually, when I was when I was reading online too, there was even a theory that Bob is also a figment of his imagination. As I, well. I heard about that too. Yeah, yeah, I read that somewhere. I, I didn't want to go you down could, that route because there's you, a lot more to it. You could but. also say that he is Bob. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, oh. I mean, he ends up. I mean, I mean, Bob, Bob ends, ends up, up dead. Di dying. It's so. interesting though because Bob dies the same way that. Uh, Tyler Durden ends up dying. That's they true. both get the back of their heads blown. Yeah, out, yeah, yeah. Right, and that that at and the end when that happens, that's both of his sort of sort of masculine personalities dying in favor of Marla because that or, last shot, or his ideas of what he could become. Yes. Right? Yeah, there you go. That yeah, what he could be versus what he ends up being. Because at the end, that last shot, it's him and Marla standing there holding hands, and they're both kind of dressed the same way. Like, it looks like he's wearing a dress because of his, his oh, coat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His they coat. both have short yeah. hair. They both have similar frames. Like, they're, it's hard to tell who's who, other than the fact that Marla's hair is a little more crazy than his. Yeah, yeah. But, like, they have the same frame. They almost kind of merge at the end there as he yeah. accepts who he wants to be and who he is and figures his own self out. Or like, or you could even say that it's it's him just uh, just being instead of having. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because I mean, the movie is a lot about like consumerism and. Um, oh yeah, there's you know, that whole. Aspect. You know the you know all that stuff, right? So, um, you could you could say just because of the way that he is throughout the movie that, uh, he's he's trying to have a more masculine approach because you know like you see him, he's not like. You know, you know the biggest guy or you know whatever right? yeah yeah and he like um it's him just you could say it's and i i have more about this about marla and stuff but it's him just 
accepting who he is in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Instead of resisting so much about himself, he's just accepting uh, more about himself and accepting himself as totally. a whole. Well, so that that's the end of my my section, I guess. Those are the two things that I wanted. There was there's a lot more I want to talk about. I mean, okay. I, I wanted to dive <laughs> into the idea of like uh, counter ca- consumerism and the idea of like you know capitalism and how it's portrayed that, and that's talked et cetera, about et cetera, so much et cetera, et cetera. though. But it's talked about a lot and yeah. and. You know, I, I feel like the nature of our podcast is very much like uh, exploring everything that we can in a little bit more uh, broad spectrum just to talk about the movie in general right, rather right. than diving into specific things. Because we could spend an entire hour talking about how you, the movie deals with <laughs> emasculation. You, or, you could talk an entire hour just about, you know, things you see on the wall and in the ex- background. Exactly. Like the myself, myself, yeah, myself yeah. tags. Uh, behind him or the the war tag when he's like really in the midst of his own fight with him there's so much that you could talk about and we can't do it in an hour so those are the two things that i thought were most interesting (laughs) that i kind of wanted to touch on yeah yeah um so i'm gonna hand it over to you perhaps to continue the conversation about marlo with what you wanted to talk about okay so i'll I'll start with the marla thing um my theory on marla is at the very beginning of the movie, he says, you always hurt the ones you love, right? Oh, yeah. So and then the my, other way around, too. Yeah, exactly. So my theory on Marla, too, and you could even you could even say it's uh, uh, Tyler and even Bob or even the, the pretty boy, uh, Jared Leto, that he fucks oh, up. Oh, yeah. Really you could even say it for him. Um, but And you could even say that him destroying, like when he says, I want to destroy something beautiful, you could say it's him... Uh, destroying his own appearance of what he thinks he should be in some way or another okay you you know like um vanity right yes so my my thing is uh marla actually represents him trying to find self-love interesting so i gotta find it because i got like fucking like five pages of shit here that i wrote nice um Mar- so Marla. Okay, so here it is. So, and it's more posed as a question to myself than anything. But like, um, so here's what I wrote in Marla: him trying, him, him finding self love in all his imperfections and finding acceptance with that, making peace with himself. And uh, you know, he's he's resisting that throughout the whole movie. He's trying. Um he's trying to be bigger than himself in a lot of ways, the whole movie. Right. Um, and then it was, it's also about the, the masculine and feminine side and kind of him being in the middle of that. So I think in a way, um, Marla is a reflection of all his imperfections and the things that he doesn't want to be. And then by the end of the movie, he ends up, uh, accepting that. And then, interesting yeah and, and the movie he's, he's very critical of her to start you know yeah. he sees her and the first thing he does is get mad about her being there even though she's doing exactly what he's doing yeah she's being exactly what he's being yeah but he's mad about that because he sees that in himself and he recognizes yeah, it exactly. and doesn't like and it, it and it's kind of about um realizing your own imperfections and kind of taking i guess in the movie it's more symbolic but like him taking a look inside of himself and saying you know, there's someone else here doing the same thing I am. How could I, how could I get pissed off at that person for doing the same thing that I'm doing? Yeah. It's sort of, um, sort of, you get, I guess it'd be like self-righteousness in a way. 
Yeah. It, yeah. At, the, at the start anyways. And then, you know, it's kind of about um, seeing your own, seeing your own faults as well. And, you know, not blaming other people for shit. Yeah, totally. Um, and I also have another theory about how Marla is possibly the physical manifestation of his power animal. His power? Oh, yeah. the penguin. Yeah, well, the I mean, penguin. that makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, we see the penguin once, and after that, it's always Marla it's, in that cave. It, it's always Marla. And then when you when you see her for the first time, she kind of does look like a penguin in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know what I mean? She does. You know? Oh, she does. And they, then she's, they really, always, yeah. she's always... And the penguin also had a female voice by the sounds of it. it or it a child, did. Or a child's I, voice. I, I, it, yeah, one of the two. But it yeah. sounded feminine for yeah. sure. And that that's interesting because when I first watched it through, I just thought that the reason she was invading his cave is because he was so caught up in like the fact that Tyler was was banging her and he liked her but he didn't want to admit it and all that. But mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear what this spirit animal conversation leads to. So. Okay, so I googled it. So I mean, take take everything yeah, with okay. a grain of salt because I don't think any of this is like super concrete or anything. But um, okay, so it says. And I'm just reading. I just copy and pasted. So none of this is really my own words. But um, it says the the penguin spirit animal symbolizes uh, community and togetherness and how you need teamwork and social connection to survive. It teaches you to endure suffering because there's always something good waiting for you, waiting for you when you overcome it. Huh. So when you when you think about the movie as a whole... The whole, the whole thing is just him suffering through whatever trauma you want to imagine is his trauma. Yeah. And coming through the other end, having destroyed. The whole the whole movie is really about death and rebirth when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Even at the end when he blows everything up, you could say that uh, it's the collapse of society. And Out with the old, in with the new. Yeah. And it, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot I wrote, like even about I don't know if, you know, like the collective unconscious and stuff like that, and like, sort of, uh, I uh, fuck I can't even the collective unconscious. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like, um, uh, fuck I can't I I know the I know the concept, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to put into words. I watched a bunch of videos and. Bunch oh, of is this stuff. what you were talking about uh, about us talking about further on with Spider Man? No, 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 this is, this is a different thing, but sort of what you could say is, uh, so if you look at project, if you look at project mayhem, right. Mm -hmm. And all the, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's Tyler. He recruits all these people and then they start thinking the same way that he does. Yeah. So you could say that even as it becomes its own little society, right? Yeah, a it, sort of mob mentality. In yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you could look at the collapse of these buildings as society, and the end result of these of these uh, tribulations and trials and everything could mean something really good, or it could mean something really bad. It mm-hmm. all depends on how that person or the society handles it as as a whole. And it's interesting because they try really hard not to not to villainize the the fight club right like it, it they don't they don't necessarily no they do, their intentions aren't bad 
Yeah, like, exactly. You know, and, and the they're movie they're trying to that. yeah, and they're trying to make a change for the better. They're looking at they're looking at things as they are. They don't and they don't kill people. They, they don't they kill just people. Vandalize. They make a mess. Yeah. They make like, a point of not killing people even when they destroy those buildings. Yeah, exactly. So they 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 are, and you could even relate it to the collapse of the narrator when his whole when his whole apartment blows up. You could say because he even says like that apartment was me, mm-hmm. right? So. When when his depart when his apartment and all his worldly possessions are are destroyed, you like could look Kia at furniture. Yeah, you could look <laughs> at you could and you know there's also the the whole thing about the things you owning end up owning you, right? Yeah. So once he once he loses all that, he starts to to find himself in a way, right? Well, and and I guess that's that's too that's kind of touched on when they talk about um uh the 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 idea that he has blown up his own apartment, right? Is that yeah you know without him knowing it, he's set himself on this course of of death and rebirth he's destroyed himself and is now trying to rebuild who he is as a person by creating these characters that are facets of himself and trying to find which one ends up being the true yeah him. yeah exactly yeah to the, to that extent something i found kind of interesting and it, it not doesn't necessarily apply but i just uh again it was on on the topic of this idea that marla is also a um a figment of his imagination is that no, none of the places he goes to are real. Um, okay. Th- I mean, th- there, there's uh, there's a certain level of argument that says, oh, most of the movie isn't actually real. It's all just in his head. Yeah. But, but I guess what I'm proposing mostly um, is that the house on Paper Street mm-hmm. isn't real. You could say that it's just a part of his own mind. He goes to the bar has beer with Tyler. Tyler forces him to ask him to come to his house. Right. But Tyler's not real, so Tyler doesn't have a house. What he said is he's going to go find a hotel. So for the duration of this movie, I'd argue... He lives in a hotel room, the hotel room the that hotel. Marla lives in, because she lives in a oh, hotel. Okay, okay. And he just takes this one room and has transferred it into two different things in his mind. The room for Marla, where he finds her, and then the house for Tyler. But but they're all apart, all the same place. He's just constructed them into this thing, and he's he's just roiling within himself. Possibly he never even leaves the hotel room. I was gonna say, I was also gonna say the hotel room at the end. When right before he goes to um um like that 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 construction site at the end, right? You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. could even say it's that hotel too. Arguably, yeah, because yeah. you could say that he's been there the whole time, and I I honestly think he has. I I, I don't yeah. think he's been anywhere else. I mean, he may have flown other places. Like I'm sure when he was working, like that stuff is all real. Um, but arguably. Once he lets Tyler take over and become a full manifestation, arguably everything after that could just be like a fever dream. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think that it's not. I, mm. I prefer to imagine it as... I, 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 like, to, I, I like to think of it as th- these things actually happened. And, and he's just living in this hotel room and doing things, but, but they yeah. actually occur. And I, I think that's what the movie's going for, but I think there's an argument to be made the other way as well. Which yeah, because, like, I mean, you could even say the house on Paper Street is a certain part of his brain where he stores all this stuff because he's just sitting there and he's reading all these notes saying that this guy was a shut-in and whatever else. True. So, he, you know, these could just be things that he's stored in his head for so long that it could be just coming it's out. It's his or mind castle, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> his paper fort. His paper fort on Paper Street. 
which yeah. uh, he keeps all of the information on what Tyler does there. When he needs to figure out, he delves into his mind castle to try and figure yeah. out what happened yeah. and reach into Tyler Durden's memories. Yeah. Bom, so bom, here, bom. here's my uh, here's my sort of approach to what Project Mayhem is. Um, just got to find it. Okay, so... And this, this is also ties in because, I mean, Tyler Durden basically is Project Mayhem. Like, yes. Oh, you yeah. know, he is Project totally. Mayhem. So, like, I, I, I've been doing some, like, reading on, like, stoicism and stuff like that. And there's this, there's this uh, I don't know, like, little saying, mantra, whatever you want to call it. But it's called memento mori. And it means... Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. So, it means live every day as if it's your last, accepting the fact that one day you're going to die and only you have the power to change your way of thinking and how you live today. The right? literal Latin translation being, um, remember your mortality. Exactly, yeah. And essentially, that's that's what it's all about. And, you know, it's not about them trying to change the future. It's not about them trying to change the past. It's about what they can do today and the effects that it could have on the future. Not about some concrete idea that will change the future or whatever it's about what they're doing today that could affect tomorrow yeah you know oh man that's so um, deep and uh you know and being th- like they are essentially like the change they want to see in the world so that's what they're doing they're but not also expecting everybody else to is change. it is it the world i mean i mean are you arguably to a certain extent it's the world and it's society but, you but also him himself. himself yeah exactly. you know it's it's him trying to be the changes he wants to see in himself because he doesn't like who he is which also could could bleed over to the rest of society mm-hmm. as well especially if because they're he's, they're, pro- he's projecting he's anyways projecting right it. yeah exactly like everything that project mayhem is doing is about um the outside world they're going around destroying coffee franchises and <laughs> corporate art and stuff yeah. like that right so i mean you could say that as well it, it bleeds it's him not liking himself and wanting to become something more. And then it's him also projecting those desires onto a world where he feels maybe things need to be different. I mean, he, he works a terrible job that you can tell he doesn't like where he, he has to basically weigh the value of human life in dollars for a corporation. And I mean, that's enough to break anybody over time, you know, it bleeds into this. Depends on whether or not you're a sociopath too. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. There, there, there's there's a lot of different variables in that, but, you know, um, okay, so here's here's another thing too, right? And it kind of kind of goes into uh, sort of Project Mayhem and Tyler Durden, the narrator, Marla, whatever. So it, it's kind of about what truly, truly defines someone or even a society and about, it's about your actions and not what you think and not what you have, but it's more about what you are in uh i guess sort of just being right okay so um you know it's kind of like it's about living by your own principles and living living them not thinking them yeah you know it's not like uh you're like i expect society to change and i'm just going to change with it it's about being being what you want to see in being society. proactive, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Being the change you want to see yeah, in exa- the world. Ex- exactly. Except the change might not necessarily be the most healthy. It could, or rather, it, the process is I not mean, necessarily the most healthy. Well, I mean, you, uh, 
not necessarily the process, but I mean, it's all about how you handle it. Again, to right. go back to the title, and and it's interesting that we we uh, we introed it with that because at the end of the day, the discussion of this seems to be that um, it's it's uh, an analysis of how people handle traumatic events uh, yeah, and adversity. in a lot of ways and, yeah. and adversity and it's it's an example of someone who didn't handle it well you know and through his his uh mental um struggles i guess creates a very a r- very real physical sort of force of destruction in yeah. the world yeah that um damages people's lives not necessarily always damages sometimes for the better you know and it depends on who you what perspective I mean, you look at you, it from you could you like uh when he goes in what was that what was that guy's name the veterinar- the veterinarian oh yeah 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 uh, K- kim kimmel raymond raymond kimmel or something like something that? like that raymond something or other yeah yeah and you could say it could it could have went one or two ways you could have completely traumatized him where the guy just went into hiding and he yep. just didn't come out at all or he could have actually went and became a veterinarian and and i mean you know on one hand like you can see that the intentions are are good mm-hmm. you know the this tyler durden character that that he's created is is trying to find a way to uh essentially enact a a new lifestyle that he wants to see on himself in the world which means he's going out there and he's trying to be like oh get rid of consumerism and get rid of capitalism and stop being like trodden under by the boot of the rich or whatever but then there's the other side of that coin where it's like well okay you know your intentions are good but does dragging someone out of their store with a gun to their head yeah accomplish that the end result you know the end result could be something completely different too and and i i think a a thought on that is is the interesting point i guess that sentence was a mess but basically we've got jack who's like who's the middle ground you know he's He's the guy who's experiencing and thinking the thoughts and the ideas and trying to uh, see them enacted in the world. And then there's the two different sides of him. There's the, the hyper-masculine side that is being critiqued for its um, blunt and not necessarily tactful or healthy way in which those changes are being made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the the other side, the feminine side as well, that that seems to try and enact those changes in different ways and it, it's it's almost like him doing the things that he's trying to do with these two different sort of ideologies i guess you want yeah, if you yeah. want to call them that um and and just com- not necessarily comparing but providing an a, a discussion about how those two different approaches function in the real world you know yeah like you could argue that sometimes people do need a push mhm and then you could also argue that you know you could ease someone into that as well but it changes based on who you're talking to exactly exactly (laughs) oh i guess um i guess one other thing i can mention is you know if you want to get more context to sort of what we're talking about um the one youtube channel that i've been spending because i i find their videos really interesting but um the one youtube channel that we could link is um it's called like stories of old you ever see that youtube channel that's the one where the there's that Spider-Man video and like okay. a bunch of other ones. I got a really interesting take on a lot of movies. Like I actually 
like Spider-Man three now just because of really yeah I actually, Ooh, that's a like I'm tall... not I'm not saying I'm not saying <laughs> it's necessarily a good movie like they did fuck up a lot of shit in there but like uh, there is a lot there there is more to it than meets the eye if you look at it in the right way or at least you can analyze it that way whether they intended it to be there or not and then you get into the whole I, death of the author discussion well it, it doesn't just it doesn't just talk about Spider-Man three it talks about all three and how it comes to this point okay at interesting the end. yeah and where the black suit comes in well and, that's some know. discussion for yeah. podcasts further down the line yeah for sure um but yeah any any of the things that we've kind of referenced or talked about in this show and this episode will be linked in the description if you'd like to find them um yeah i i think i'm kind of i mean we could go on a on a discussion about uh you know, consumerism and capitalism and all that, but I, mean, I don't could, think you, we have time. You could talk about every single frame of this movie pretty much. Y- you could in yeah. a lot of detail. Y- you you know? could do a full two hour episode on it, pretty much every scene and you probably wouldn't run out of stuff to talk. about. No, no. So, uh, I think we should cut it here for now. Yeah. Um, we've talked <clears> about a lot of things. We've touched base on a lot of things. There's links again, if you want to find out more details than we were able to get to. Um, and, yeah, no, I the, I'm a little sad we didn't get. Well, I'm not really that sad, but like the the consumerism is a huge thing in this and could be a topic on its own. But it's not something that I'm prepared to talk about right now. Well, actually, so, I, I do have I do have oh, one do one thing you? one thing to add. Um, nothing major, but it's you know consumerism is fine, but it's all about again, it's all about how you how you handle it how you handle it right. You know, you could get greedy, you could become a fucking asshole. You could get completely absorbed with your things you and could, forget about you, life itself. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's all about your perspective and how you handle it and, you know, um, not letting, again, not letting the things that you own own you. Yeah, totally. Right. Don't let the things you own own you. Bam. Bam. As always, uh, there are spoilers in this in this episode for the fight for Fight Club the movie. If you don't want to have spoilers, then you better go watch the movie before you listen to this, or else, um, sorry, I guess. I mean, this movie's been out since 1999, so I mean, like, if you haven't seen it, it's 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 fair game that you've had it spoiled for you at this point, and you just need to go watch yeah. it. It's like 20 um, fucking years old. Whether you agree with the things that they say. Uh, whether you um, appreciate the way in which the story is told or not, there's a lot of important messages. There's a lot of interesting discussion. And I think there's more to the movie overall than what people give it credit for. And I think that the critiques it's making are not as clear, but they're definitely critiques. Whereas uh, I think a lot of people take it as a, a glorification of hypermasculinity. And I don't think it's that. And I think that if you dig deeper, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Um, you can have your own opinions on it. Just don't be hostile about exactly. it. Exactly. But give it a watch. It's a, a fantastic movie. It's really, really, really well done. So I actually liked it. I think this like this time, because I've seen it a few times, obviously, mm-hmm. too. But I think this time watching it, just because I understand it better and I understand like a lot of the themes that are themes that are presented, maybe watching or maybe listening to this podcast and then going to watch it might offer a different, a different perspective I mean, on it as yeah, well. I, I certainly... Um, it was a lot funnier than I thought it was too. It was it was pretty funny. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, good funny moments. Yeah, it's good but, dark comedy. But I think uh, having watched it not knowing what was happening was a real treat. And then going back again and again to watch it over with more information and new information and trying to see different things in it is it, it's such a great case study for 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 filmmaking in general and how how a film 
can be crafted to show a story without telling you a story and leave you with enough information to figure out what you want to know without ever giving anything away, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just, I cannot talk enough about how well crafted it, it is. Pr- it presents but its ideas, but it doesn't shove them in your face. Exactly. Um, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter at Cinematics Podcast. We are on Instagram at Cinematics Cast. Cinematics Podcast. Oh, wait. Oh, you got it mixed up. I got it mixed up again. Jeez. <laughs> on Instagram at Cinematics Podcast. On Twitter at Cinematics Cast. Uh, I'm also, you can find uh, me slash the production company on Twitter at Dark Sales Films, Instagram at Dark Sales Films, uh, LinkedIn, Dark Sales Films, Facebook, Dark Sales Films. Uh, if you want to find out more stuff that we do or, you know, just keep in the loop. Um, we really appreciate everybody listening and um, we hope to see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.